Chapter 80 of Consuelo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Consuelo by George Sand. Chapter 80. Hayden, by this time accustomed to obey implicitly the sudden resolutions of his friend, but endowed with a more calm and thoughtful temperament, rejoined her after having secured his traveling bag, his music, and above all, his precious violin, his breadwinner, and the delight and comfort of his travels. Carilla was laid on one of those wretched German beds, which are so short that the occupier must project outside either his feet or his head. Unluckily, there was not a woman on the spot, the mistress having set out on a pilgrimage to a shrine six leagues off, and the female servant having gone to drive the cow to the pasture. An old man and a child looked after the house meanwhile, and, more frightened than satisfied at having to lodge their distinguished guest, they allowed their household gods to be invaded without thinking how they should turn it to account. The old man was deaf, and the child proceeded to seek the village midwife, who lived at least three miles off. The postilions were much more uneasy about their horses, who had nothing to eat, than about their charge, and the latter, left without any assistance but that of her femme de chambre, who was completely bewildered, and made almost as much noise as her mistress, filled the air with her shrieks and lamentations. Consuelo, seized with terror and pity, resolved not to abandon the unhappy creature. Joseph, said she to her companion, return to the priory, even if you were to be badly received. We must not be proud when we are asking for others. Tell the canon to send linen, soup, some good wine, a mattress, a coverlet, in short, everything necessary for a sick person. Speak mildly but firmly. Promise, if necessary, that we will return and perform, provided he sends succor to this unfortunate woman. Joseph set out in poor Consuelo, half hidden in the background, watched with pitying gaze this wretched woman without faith or feeling who suffered with imprecations and outcries the sacred martyrdom of maternity. The chaste and pious girl shuddered on beholding torches, which nothing could allay, since in place of joy and hope, anger and displeasure consumed Carilla's heart. She never left off cursing her hard fate, her journey, the canon and his housekeeper, and even the child unborn. She heaped volumes of abuse on her servant and rendered her incapable of doing anything. Leave my sight, cried she. You only irritate and annoy me. Sophia, angry and wretched, left the house weeping, and Consuelo, left alone with the unfortunate creature, tried to comfort and soothe her. In a short time, Sophia returned, and a quarter of an hour afterward the child saw the light. The maid snatched from a trunk the first garment that came to hand, which happened to be a theatrical mantle of faded satin, adorned with tinsel, 
and wrapping the infant in the strange swaddling cloth, placed it in Consuelo's arms. Come, madam, be consoled, said the poor waiting woman, with an accent of simple and heartfelt kindness. You are happily delivered, and you have a lovely little girl. Girl, oh boy, I no longer suffer, replied Carrillo, raising herself on her elbow. Give me a glass of wine. Joseph had just brought some from the priory, and it was of the best. The canon had behaved generously, and the patient soon had a plenteous supply of all that her situation required. Carilla raised with a firm hand the silver goblet which was presented to her, and emptied it with the steadiness of a toper. Then, throwing herself back upon the canon's comfortable cushions, she immediately fell asleep with that carelessness which is the result of an iron frame and an unfeeling heart. During her slumber, the child was properly clothed, and Consuela went to the neighboring field for you, which served as its first nurse. When the mother woke, she caused herself to be raised by Sophia, and having swallowed another glass of wine, she seemed collecting her strength for some effort. Consuelo held the child toward her, expecting some expression of maternal tenderness. But Carilla had a very different idea in her thoughts. She pitched her voice in ut major and gravely went through a gamut of two octaves. Then she clapped her hands and cried, Brava, Carilla! You have not lost a note of your voice. And bursting into a shout of laughter, she embraced Sophia and put upon her finger a diamond which she took from her own, saying, That is to console you for the insults I heaped upon you. Where is my little monkey? Ah, heavens, cried she, looking at her child. It is fair. It resembles him. So much the worse. Do not unpack so many trunks, Sophia. What are you thinking of? Do you imagine I wish to stay here all my life? Come, come, you are foolish. You do not yet know what life is. Tomorrow I mean to be on the road again. Ah, my little Zingara, you hold the baby just as if you were a woman. How much do you want for your care and your trouble? Do you know, Sophia, that I never was better nursed and tended? So you are from Venice, my little friend. Did you ever hear me sing? Consuelo made no reply to these questions, and indeed, her answers would not have been listened to. Carilla horrified her. She committed the child to the care of the servant, who had just entered and who appeared a good creature. Then calling Joseph, she returned with him to the priory. I did not promise to the canon to bring you back, said he as they walked along. He appeared ashamed of his conduct, though he affected much ease and cheerfulness of manner. Notwithstanding his selfishness, he is not an ill-disposed man. He appeared really happy in sending Carilla all that could be useful to her. There are some minds so frightfully hard and unfeeling, replied Consuelo, that weak ones ought to cause us more pity than horror. I wish to make amends for my anger against the poor canon, and since Carilla is not dead, since, to use the common phrase, both mother and child are as well as can be expected, 
since our canon has contributed to that result as much as he could without risking the possession of his dear benefice. I wish to thank him. Besides, I have reasons for remaining at the Priory until after Carilla's departure. Tomorrow I will tell you what they are. Bridget had gone to pay a visit to a neighboring farmhouse, and Consuelo, who had expected to confront that griffin, was agreeably disappointed at being received by the gentle and prepossessing Andre. Come along, my little friends, cried he, leading the way to his master's apartments. The canon is dreadfully melancholy. He hardly eat anything at breakfast, and his noonday siesta was repeatedly interrupted. He has met with two great misfortunes today. He has lost his most splendid vocameria, as well as the hope of hearing some good music. Happily you are returned, and one at least of his sufferings will be allayed. Does he mock his master or us, said Consuelo to Joseph. Both, replied Hayden, in case the canon be not in a pouting mood, we shall have some rare sport. Far from finding fault, the canon received them with open arms. Consuelo made him admire and understand the admirable preludes of Bach, and to complete his satisfaction, she sang her most beautiful songs, without trying to disguise her voice, and without troubling herself much whether he discovered her age and sex or not. The canon was determined to discover nothing, and to enjoy to the uttermost what he heard. He was passionately fond of music, and his transport seemed so sincere and heartfelt that Consuelo could not help being touched. "'Ah, my dear, good, noble child,' cried the worthy man, with tears in his eyes. "'This is the happiest day of my life. "'But what is henceforth to become of me? "'No, I can never bear the loss of such an enjoyment. "'I shall be eaten up with weariness. "'I can no longer take pleasure in music of my own performance.' My soul is filled with an ideal which I never can attain, and which I shall regret forever. I shall no longer love anything, not even my flowers. You are very wrong to say so, said Consuelo, for your flowers sing better than I do. What say you? My flowers sing? I never heard them. That is because you never listened, but I heard them this morning. I heard their mystic melodies and understood their meaning. You are a strange child, a true child of genius, exclaimed the canon, stroking Consuelo's brown locks with fatherly regard. You wear the livery of poverty, while you should be born aloft in triumph. But who are you? Tell me. Where have you learned what you know? Nature, chance, were my teachers. Ah, you deceive me, said the canon, laughing good-humoredly. You were some relation of Farinelli or Caffarelli. But listen, my children, he added, with a serious yet cheerful air. You must leave me no more. I shall take charge of you. Remain with me. I have some means. They shall be yours. I shall be to you what Gravina was to Metastasio. It shall be my honor and my glory. Stay with me. It will only be necessary for you to enter into secondary orders. You shall have a handsome benefice, 
and after my death, you will inherit some pretty little savings, which I do not intend to leave to that harpy Bridget. As the canon spoke thus, the harpy herself entered suddenly and heard his last words. Choking with rage and tears, she exclaimed, And I, for my part, I do not intend to serve you any longer. It is a pretty thing to sacrifice my youth and my reputation to an ungrateful master. Your reputation? Your youth, replied the canon, mockingly. Ah, you flatter yourself, my poor old woman. What you were pleased to term the one protects the other. Yes, yes, said she, jest on, but prepare to see me no more. I leave a house where I can no longer preserve order or decency. I would prevent you from making a fool of yourself, from squandering your means and degrading your office. But I perceive that it is all in vain. Your feeble character and your declining star impel you on to your ruin. And the first mountebanks that fall in your way so turn your head that you are ready to sacrifice everything to them. Well, well, the canon Herbert has long wished me to enter his service and offers me a better salary than you can afford. I am weary of all I see here. Pay me my wages. I will not pass another night under your roof. Oh, is that the way, said the canon calmly. Well then, Bridget, you do me a great favor, and I hope most fervently you will keep to your word. I have never dismissed anyone from my service, and I think, if the devil himself were in my employment, I would not put him out. Such is my easy temper. But if he left me of his own accord, I would wish him a good journey, and sing a Magnificat at his departure. Make up your packages, Bridget. And as to your wages, take them yourself, whatever you wish, all that I possess, if you will, so that you rid me of your presence quickly. Ah, Reverend Canon, said Hayden, moved at this domestic scene, you will regret an old domestic who seems warmly attached to you. She is attached to my benefice, replied the Canon, and I only regret her coffee. You will accustom yourself to do without good coffee, said the austere Consuelo, firmly, and you will do well. Hold your tongue, Joseph, and do not intercede for her. I mean to speak openly before her, because it is the truth. She is ill-natured, and she is hurtful to her master. He is good. Nature has made him noble and generous. But this woman renders him selfish. She stifles all the good impulses of his soul, and if he keeps her in his service, he will become at last as hard and inhuman as herself. Pardon me, Reverend Canon, for thus addressing you. You have made me sing so much, and have so intoxicated me in displaying your own enthusiasm and delight, that I am hardly myself. If this be so, you are to blame." but be assured that truth reigns supreme in such moments of enthusiasm, because they are noble in their nature and develop in us the loftiest qualities of our being. It is then that our heart is on our lips, and it is my heart which now speaks to you. When I am calm, I shall be more respectful, 
but not more sincere. Believe me, I do not want your fortune. I have no desire for it and no need. Did I wish for fortune? I might have more than you. And the life of an artist is subjected to so many risks that you may possibly survive me. It would then be for me to inscribe your name in my will, in grateful recollection of what you have wished to do for me. Tomorrow we shall leave this, most probably never to meet again, but we shall leave you with hearts overflowing with joy, respect, and gratitude if you get rid of this Madame Bridget, whose pardon I sincerely ask for, thus thinking of her. Consuelo spoke with so much fire, and the frankness of her disposition depicted itself so strongly on her features that her words made an electric impression on the cannon. Be gone, Bridget, said he, with a firm and dignified air to his housekeeper. Truth speaks by the mouth of children, and this youth has a great soul. Be gone, for you have this day made me do a base action, and you would make me do others because I am weak and at times timid. Be gone, because you make my life unhappy, and that is not necessary to your salvation. Be gone, he added, smiling, because you begin to scorch the coffee and sour the cream. This last reproach touched Bridget more than all the rest, and her pride, wounded in the most sensitive point, closed her mouth completely. She rose, cast a look of pity, almost of scorn on the cannon, and left the apartment with a theatrical air. Two hours afterward, this dethroned queen left the priory, which she did not fail to pillage a little. The cannon took no notice of it, and from the happiness that shone on his countenance, Hayden saw that Consuelo had rendered him a real service. After dinner, the latter, to prevent him from feeling any regret, made coffee for him after the Venetian fashion, which is by far the best in the world. Andre took lessons under her directions, and the canon declared that he had never tasted better coffee in his life. They had more music in the evening, first, however, sending to inquire for Corella, who, the messenger brought word, was already seated in the armchair which the canon had sent her. In the evening, which was one of the loveliest of the season, they took a long stroll through the garden by moonlight, during which the canon, leaning on Consuelo's arm, continually entreated her to enter into secondary orders and to be to him as his adopted son. Take care, said Joseph, when they were about to retire to their several apartments. This good canon is wonderfully taken with you. Nothing ought to put one out when traveling, replied she. But do not be afraid. I shall not be an abbe any more than a trumpeter. Herr Mayer, Count Hoditz, and the canon have all reckoned without their host. End of chapter 80